Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. Is episode 302 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode, I chat to Clayton Colswick and Matt Hostery of Beep Games and Tribe Toy about their twin stick arcade shooter, Bartlow's Dread Machine. It's more to it than that, it's more of an adventure game set in like the turn of the 20th century where you're this sort of government agent trying to rescue the president of the United States from ne'er-do-wells and yeah it's, it's it has a unique style to it it pretends or it simulates what a video game would have been if they made them back then and rather than you know they didn't have the technology that we have now so they use like mechanical pulleys and wheels and all sorts and everything's on tracks and it's it's fascinating really really entertaining game very well built Really fun, and uh, I'll probably will stream it very soon. Actually, I'm gonna stream it uh, having soon after release of this episode. So yeah, do do look out for that. But yeah, this is a really really good game and a really good chat as well. Um, Clayton has been on before quite some time ago, um, chatting about the um, remake of Voodoo Vince, if you remember. But uh, he's back again, talking about Bartlow's dread machine so without further ado let us listen to me from the past chat into these fine gentlemen chris from the past if you would 
Clayton and Matt, who are you and what do you do? Wow. <laughs> That's a big question. It is. <laughs> what, do, what do many of us um, really do, really? Um, we are people who um, enjoy making games and despite all kinds of evidence to the contrary that, you know, it, that maybe it's a, a, a terrible, you know, um, career path. We, we do, we continue to make games and we can't stop making them. Um, it's a problem and we're, I'm doing everything I can to, uh, to deal with it. And, uh, I, I, I guess I'm really glad I have this opportunity to let everyone know that. Yeah. That's a, thank you for sharing. I think everyone can clap. Well done. First step. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, uh, I feel validated. I feel, I feel, yeah. um, seen, supported, <laughs> loved. It's great. Um, regular listeners, if you recognize that voice, you may do because you've got really long memories because you've probably listened to episode 144 of The Sausage Factory where Clayton was actually on talking about Voodoo Vince remastered. Yes, he's back with something new. <laughs> uh, and he's back with Bartlow's Dread Machine. Before we go on to that, Matt, can you tell us what you do? Is it a similar confession? Do we have to do step one of the Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously uh, very bad at staying away from making games, so you know, I continue to do it. Spend all my hours doing it, but I love it. So, um, uh, but yeah, I'm the, um, I'm the studio head over at Tribe Toy. Uh, so, um, you know, very small team of four. So, uh, we do a lot, um, wear a lot of hats and, uh, had a lot of fun making this game. Excellent. Excellent. So you've answered the first question well. Now, Matt, I'm going to direct this at you because Clayton already answered this. He may want to embellish a bit or add a bit, but honestly, I can, Direct people to episode 144 for the answer to this question. But Matt, I'm going to direct it at you, though. And this is, how did you start making flashy, lighty video games? Oh, God. Uh, so so for me, uh, so my father, way back when, when I was very young, uh, worked at and then eventually owned a vending company where uh, he, you know, uh, had arcade games out in, like, bars or um you know, like campgrounds and such. So when I was very young, I would go from, you know, place to place with him and, uh, you know, help, you know, fix these arcade games when they broke. And, uh, also of course I had to test them to make sure they worked. So I got to play a lot of, you know, free, free arcade games, which was great. Um, and, you know, I just loved doing it and, uh, loved doing that aspect, but I, I wanted to make my own. So, you know, when I was really young, uh, PC gamer, had coconut monkey like discs. They're like little games they made way back when it came on their little disc. It came with, you know, with the magazine and it, there's this thing called click and play. And I saw, Oh my God, this game was made in click and play. And then I picked that up, started making games when I was, you know, like 10 years old and, uh, did that until, uh, you know, with the college to learn how to animate and stuff like that. And then got a job working on Lord of the Rings online and went from there. Um, so. Yeah, I've just been making games since I was very, very young. Wow. Yeah, I think I hear that click and play stuff a lot. It's not something I'm familiar with. Me being British and of a certain age, for me, it was the ZX Spectrum. You probably know what that is. Or maybe you don't. I don't mm-hmm. know. I know Clayton does. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what I cut my teeth on. <laughs> that, 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 that machine. Oh, boy. It's a little weird little thing. But, yeah, it uh, had an awesome basic, and that was all you needed. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think... Uh, and, and it's great that you sort of start little understanding logic and, of course, collision detection, the glorious thing that that is. And then it all expands from there. I know it's way more than that, but just that first faltering steps is just wonderful to hear about. It just goes to show that from a simple, very simple, high-level 
language, a logic sort of thing, you can then create a whole career. Awesome. Yep. So I'm going to ask you both of you of this because uh, I suspect, uh, Clayton, this may have changed. And it's the infamous nebulous question. You probably can't remember it, but it basically goes along the lines of this. You are creators of video games, and I have to ask, what are your biggest influences? Oh, wow. Um, um, yeah, I, I don't even remember what I said last time, so let's just see if I completely contradict myself. That's fine. Um, it's such a weird question. It probably has changed over I'm, time. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go in a direction that's probably not the most. Um, you know, it's not, it's not the most um, awesome for like giving me like tremendous uh, credibility making games. It's just I, I think for me, it's it's not necessarily games, but it's it's all the different media that I think I've been exposed to from books to comic books and everything else that kind of informs what I like to make. Um, those, those things that I either grew up and, and, and obsessed over, um, it could be movies. It's just, I, I it's, it's, um, I, I think it was this notion for me that, um, I, I could su- suddenly like combine all these different disciplines that I love in, in one place uh, after being told for many years that that was in, impossible. So I can, think about um, the way I would feel when I would experience just, you know, a game certainly, but obviously, you know, when, when you just finish reading a really awesome graphic novel or you, you, you finish watching, you know, one of your favorite movies and um, feeling like games have the, the capacity to, to, you know, influence us that way, I, I guess um, I'm not really naming any, you know, influences directly, but I, I feel like, um, I feel like it's just this, this kind of, you know, pop culture salad, if you will, that, um, kind of kind of keeps me motivated to keep to keep building stuff like this yeah and what about what about you matt what, what's the things that you find yourself orbiting more than anything you know it changes a lot like obviously i have that early arcade influence i always like the games to feel uh just you know uh have that kind of real quick visceral uh action to them and just like you know there's a fun to an arcade game that just happens right from the get-go um I always, I want that in like everything I work on. Um, but also like, uh, other just gaming influence, Prince of Persia Sands of Time was huge for me. Um, for me, that game was the first, uh, experience I played that had no, uh, basically no line, like this blurred the line so much between the game and the user. Like even when you died, he would be like, Oh, wait, that's not what happened. And it, like, it just all was wrapped up in the narrative. There's nothing that sort of lived outside the narrative. Um, and I love that about, um, about that game. And it's something I, I definitely try to get into my games where it's like, no, this, every part of this from the UI to, you know, everything is part of the narrative. And I, I think that's something yeah. we really tried to put into Bartlow's where like, you know, you are playing a game, right? Uh, it's literally an arcade cabinet. That's the, the narrative of it. And we, we really tried to sell that. Um, but also like, you know, Secret of Silver Blades, uh, the gold box series from way back in the day, if anyone remembers like that, <laughs> um, which no one probably does anymore, uh, is another huge influence of mine. And then just, um, God, there's just, it's endless, right? Um, I love novels. Um, I love, uh, you know, other types of media too that I try to bring in. Um, you know, cause for me in the end, like, it's about making people have fun and about, about making people's minds grow too, like giving them something to think about. Um, so, uh, yeah, th- that's sort of, sort of my stick. So basically profound experiences. Great. Good job. Love that because 
that's what we're here for when we come when it boils down to it. Even if it is a strange little metal people on rails, it's fine. <laughs> or is it tin yeah, people? The tin people, metal tin tin. People. Yes, yes. So profound, profound tin people. Yes, profound tin people. <laughs> Next question again, Clayton. You can have another, another go at this one. You might. This might have changed. So here we go. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Oh, wow. You know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I might have said something along these lines the last time I was I was here. But um, uh, I I just like games that have that um, sense of play, that sense of fun. Um, I, I, I adore um, especially that if you go back through the history of Rare um, and, and you know, those those games, I mean, you just uh, something that just has some, some humor, some color, some just really delightful things, um, uh, about it. Um, also not afraid to try some new ideas or just really strange things as well in, in, in the mix. Um, I mean, I've always tended to make things that are, I'll, I'll say, you know, a little bit offbeat, maybe even like, you know, cult favorites, not, not things that necessarily hit the mainstream super hard. But, um, and, and so I, I think I tend to, I mean, that's why I like double fine is right up there for me as well. I mean, I, I think the, uh, things where, the spirit of the studio, the personality of what they do um, is on the same plane as what they're actually building in terms of, of technology. I mean, I, yeah, that's there. That, I'm guessing that's not too different from what I said a few years ago. But. No, that's fine. It's fine. We've got new outlets. It's Kenya Rinse. It's fine. You know, it's All right. Great. It's new to them. It's new yeah. to them. So that's cool. And what about you, Matt? Who's the people you go, you people over there, like me, carry on doing the thing. Oh God. Um, <laughs> Super Giant's been really cool for me lately. Uh, I really like uh, just they have again that narrative that gets really tied into their games, and I think that's really great. Um, also, I tend to like a lot of really weird, uh, offbeat, competitive stuff. Like I don't know, like there's this game called Duelist, uh, D Y L U S T S. I think they spell it weird, um, but it's uh, it's sort of like a mix of Final Fantasy Tactics and Magic the Gathering, and it's just, it's amazing. And uh, uh, it no longer exists, sadly. They took down the servers, but um, I tend to really get into these really uh, offbeat competitive games. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, they were great for me. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Super Giant though sticks out uh, a lot. Yeah, so um, they often come up when I ask this question, and rightly so, because they've got a signature, haven't they? Probably yeah, not deliberate, a, but they do have one. No, you know, you know, it's their game, right? And yeah, uh, yeah. it's something I really enjoy. Uh, with, I just enjoy their, their, how they put everything together. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of playing games, and this is to both of you, definitely. I would have asked Clayton this again because it's a topical question. What are you playing right now? Way too much Animal Crossing. <laughs> yeah, me too. We should, should we swap island codes and stuff. It'd be great. Oh, it's but, a deal. Yeah. It's a deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although, which hemisphere are you in? You know, I, I, need, I need to really cultivate more southern hemisphere friends. Uh, sorry, I'm very much northern. Sorry. <laughs> ah, that's fine. That's fine. It's just hitting autumn time now, isn't it? So everything's going a bit. The acorns have started to arrive, and it's nice. Yeah, it's a magical time of year. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Animal Crossing. What what do you think? What is the thing that you why do you play it so much? Just curious. Me? Um, yeah, what uh, I mean I I've always been a fan of I, I've been a fan of the franchise since the start, so I've played for ridiculous amounts of time on every single version of the game. 
so I, I already have kind of a love of what they do, the way that they, the use of real time, the use of real seasons. Um, um, you know, and yeah, there's that compulsion to just get all the stuff and find all the things. And uh, I think they've added some really nice systems on top of what they've done before. I love the, yep. the crafting, the crafting and all that stuff. The amount of personalization you can do both inside and outside um, your, your house is just tremendous this time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have, I have the OCD obviously where I have to fill my museum up. I have to do all that stuff. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it just seems like a really strong entry in, in the franchise for me. So I'm, uh, and, and I'll say that during the time working, you know, um, out of, at home, you know, the pandemic and everything, I mean, as, as many people have noted, it's, it's the ultimate sort of comfort experience. There's this friendly Island where everyone's generally going to be really just positive and just you know, say great things. And it's, it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's a comprehensible pleasant little world that um uh it's it's nice to uh it's a nice change of pace from you know worrying about the pandemic or, or the wildfires and, and things like that that we're, we're dealing with out here in the west indeed lots of people with uh, stuffed toys with um this is fine and then holding it out the window like yep that's <laughs> yeah that's still yeah. not funny <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, i think the most uh inventive one was someone did a drone shot of san francisco and then put the um music of blade runner on top of it like, oh, oh yeah that, that would work that, yeah. that works that works and yeah, kind of, kind you, you don't even have to you don't even have to change the palette in post it really no, is that color is that really yeah. is that color yeah that's shocking wow yes i really feel for you uh and what about you matt what's what's distracting you from your day-to-day uh let's say half-life alex has been really awesome uh it's sort of the game I wish came out when VR was new, um, just to really uh, get people excited about that platform. It's I, I can only play it for about an hour at a time because it's so intense. I think my heart rate actually doubles or triples every time I play it. It's just extremely terrifying to have zombies and things jump at you, especially when you're like low on ammo and you're like throwing a chair across the room at it. It's just it's a whole new thing. Like it's, I, I'm very excited about VR still and, uh, uh, or what it can be. And that, that game really scratches an itch there. Um, also I'm doing some four player divinity, getting ready for the Baldur's gate release. Uh, you know, uh, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, just finished Hades, um, super giant and, uh, uh, monster train was pretty cool too. Got through that. And then, uh, yeah, Magic the Gathering, I got really into that, got up to, like, Mythic Leaderboard, like, I don't know what I was ranked, like, some hundreds, and then I'd, I'd need to step away for a while and play other things, because it gets <laughs> too much. That's impressive. <laughs> I mean, we got a lot of developers on the show, and they go, nothing? You know, it's like whimpering, is it? Like trying, to get the, trying to get the game yeah, out. Yeah. And then we, we're, we're busy making games. Shut up. Yeah, we, we, they, they, it did actually switches over to, well, what do you plan to play after you finish this? Oh, yeah. See, I've got this pile, and they start going through the. I mean, we talk about that. But for you to turn around and go, yeah, I've done this, that, and the other, wow. Fair play yeah, to my, you, my friend. My yeah, dark secret a, is, I, is, I, is I never finish games because I'm ah. just not. I'm not a completionist, so I uh, I play a game right until I understand it and like yeah. get all the pieces of it, and I'm like, yeah. oh, I got everything I can get out of this. You know, I see where this is going, I see where this is going to end, and I just stop. Huh? <laughs> so, okay. so as, as a result, I'm allowed to play. I get to play a lot of things. The downside is I never find uh, uh, complete fulfillment in anything. Oh, yeah, you know, very poetic. I'm, I'm a horrible human being. Very sad. So we move okay. on then. 
let's move yeah. on to this <laughs> half of the show. <laughs> on that note, uh, <laughs> where we uh, we are going to delve deep, everyone. We really are into Bartlow's Dread Machine. do that Clayton knows this works I'm sure he remembers we can't actually do that until we describe what it is now in your own words gentlemen what is Bartlow's Dread Machine well <laughs> it's it's a classic twin stick arcade game at, at its most basic level um, if I were to describe the the kind of the genesis of, of, of the design it, it is uh, Robotron and Pac-Man so, you know, you, ha- you have the twin stick, you have the ability to turn and move, but you are also guiding the character along various tracks and grids um, and things like that. And uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm just describing things in a very mechanical way, but that really was kind of the, the foundation of, of what you do in the game. Um, conceptually, it is something that I've wanted to make for, gosh, like uh, about 11 or more, 12 years now. Um you know, I've had this notion for a while that um, if there was a machine and it could have existed a hundred or more years ago, but it had all the things we think of as something existing in a modern game, what what, what would that be like? Um, and I, I did various, you know, little little bits of mock-ups and, and concept art and things like that. Um, and I just sort of always had this idea in the back of my mind. I had always wanted to make it. And um, it was uh, not until all these years later, um, you know, talking with my, my good friend Matt here, um, about actually making the game, and he was at a point with his studio uh, where that was um, they could they could really entertain the idea of making a, a project like this. And then I was at a point also where I thought it was about you know the right time to uh, just sort of jump in and and see what happened. And you know we, it was it was a tentative thing I guess at first. We we you know there was a lot of prototyping, there was a lot of testing just to see if even you know, see if the idea would, would even hold water. You know if if it, if it would be what we imagined or hoped it would be. And, um, I think, I think it was, I, I think, um, Matt, Matt might be able to, uh, you know, illuminate that a little better than I do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Per the prototype, like 
you know, uh, one of the things we really had to get her head around is like, hey, you're on rails, right? But you're not on rails in that, like, the rails move you. It's like Pac-Man, where you're, like, choosing which way to go. And what does that mean for a shooter? How does that change gameplay? And, like, our initial concern was, like, will this feel really restricted? And I think the re- revelation I sort of came to was that FPSs are exactly the same in that they are equally on rails in a weird way. And that, like, if you're going down corridors or hallways – um, you really, that is your rail. You can move left or right in the hallway a little bit, but you're not really doing anything when you do that. Like it's, you know, you're, you're moving behind cover is basically all is, is the gameplay there. So, um, you know, we realized we were very much a cover based shooter. We were very much just tactical like shooter, but also we had this element where since you could have this more over like larger view of, of, of where the hallways were, where the, the rails were, it became this, is you could like be a little strategic. Or if you think of uh, Galaga or any of those old games where you only had one axis of movement uh, and you would move left and right to dodge fire, well, we can do that in our game, but you get to choose which axis you move on by just moving to a new rail. Um, so that, that took a little bit of time to sort of dial in. But, um, you know, we also just looked like a lot of like, a lot of um, influences went into that. Like Nier Automata is a really uh, had this really great dynamic way of, sh- of changing the gameplay. They go like move the camera a lot, right? So they like move to like top down, and the game feels very different in top down than it does like when it's close in on the side. And we wanted to like uh, borrow some of those aspects and put them in our game, um, except make it feel mechanical, make it feel like the machine was actually moving the whole level to get these different camera angles. Um, and then like you know structurally. We wanted every moment to moment to feel memorable, right? We didn't want just like a wave shooter. We wanted like a story, a mem- memorable moments that people could talk about. So we really looked at games like Castle Crashers and like beat 'em ups, where you like you kill a bunch of guys in an area and you get the little arrow like ding, ding, ding. You know, Smash TV sort of has the same kind of vibe. Um, so we looked at games like that 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 had memorable moments or had like a structure that would allow us to move players through a story and uh you know have a lot of fun in in that way so uh that's sort of what what where our our head was and as we started to prototype in gray box and uh it turned out it it worked it was a lot you know and we hit a point where i remember we invited clayton over he's like this is fun and i'm like yeah it is and like once we hit that point you know then you start realizing you're playing when you're supposed to be working and that's when you know the game's going in the good direction is when you're playing your own game uh when you're supposed to be just testing something so uh it took off from there and you know yeah. Yeah, fantastic. You've almost delved into my first design question. Almost. But ah, I think good. I can <laughs> I can I can uh fix it a little bit because of focus cool. on one thing which you hinted at. But no, it's uh, and also a little arrow. When I saw that I thought, Oh look, Golden Axe <laughs> It did that. Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, that was my that was my reference point. It's Golden Axe. There you go. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um most games shy away from the existence of the rail. You know, it's like, no, there's no rail here. There's nothing to see here. Look, look at that giant owl. No, it's a, it's a rail. No, no, it's not. No. Uh, but you, like, oh no, this look. See, we can embrace it so much, we actually make it a thing. Um, and even though like, you actually turn it into like this big thing. So, what has this done to allow you to explore aspects of movement that other games aren't able to? Because you are so saying, look. You'll just go on this one axis, X or Y, no Z, right? Get over it. What? I mean, what, I, I, what mean I, I mean, I know Matt can get into more probably a deeper level, but I mean, 
to, to me, it's like there's this degree of control over the experience where when there is or when there are a few rails and we, we will know exactly when things and where things are happening, we can do very precise staging of an encounter. But whether where there are actually there's like a larger grid, suddenly the player is like, wow, do I take cover? Do I do I strafe? Do I? Um, so it's a matter of like, a, you know, kind of like narrowing and, and widening the player's choices based on based on that. And and it's funny because people see the rails and they see the grid. And I think they often think, oh, I, I don't have any freedom. It's a rail shooter. And no, a rail shooter to me is like a rail. This this is um, if you look at, again, those classic arcade games we were talking about, they might not have rails, but the grid that you were moving on was very, very limited. It was effectively as limited as in, in many ways as what we have, but because visually you didn't see a rail, you might not think it think of it that way. No. So, um, so, so to me, there's it's, it's like in a way you can feed the player interesting choices by you know again how much or how little you give them in terms of uh, intersections and and uh, layers of track to work with. And and I was I jokingly called it a a, a BPS. It's a, a boxed perspective shooter. Uh, when when you nail that diagonal shot. Where, yeah, it's a 2D game in, in many senses, but you're actually tagging something that's at the exact opposite corner of where you are. It's very satisfying. So I, I feel like that little hint of depth gives me what I like out of it, like a, like a cool third person or 3D shooter, but, but in, you know, just kind of a different way with a, with a, a different flavor. That's, yeah. When, um, when I pulled those off, those diagonal shots off, I definitely felt vibrations of berserk. Cause when you can, do, <laughs> when, when you can get a diagonal shot in berserk, like, hey! Mm-hmm. Check yes, me out, yeah. and that's that's a that's a skill because that game. Whoa, that's another yeah, discussion. Yeah. It's a good one, though. I, it's... I was even thinking of the original um, Loaded on the original PlayStation. You know, uh, that, that was a really fun top-down co-op shooter. Lots of action, very fast, but super super fun to play co-op as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that was a, that was definitely another thing that I, that was in my mind as I kept over the years thinking about making this a, a co-op experience. Indeed, all those lovely warping textures. Don't we miss it? No. okay okay well we can talk about the next item then because i think you did a fantastic job of actually talking about the 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 the, the expanse of movement that is actually beyond the rail that's what i was trying to get at and it's Mm -hmm. wonderful that you actually delved into that but what we cannot ignore we haven't even mentioned yet which i'm surprised at but the sound design Mm. the sound design and with regards to spot and environmental effects Mm -hmm. seem to me really really important to Butler's Dread Machine because for me you need to know it tells you so so it's so informative but I'm Mm -hmm. worried how have you found limiting it to the point where it becomes doesn't become overwhelming because it could be an absolute cacophony of noise yeah how have you found sort of toning that down a bit otherwise uh, overwhelming the player it, it's it's interesting because yeah I think I think one of the first things I started looking at were actual wind up toys and tin toys and I assembled a whole lot of sound effects around those and when you when you play them all together it just sounds like you're listening to a, a bag full of junk you know yeah. just sort of clattering yeah. it's not it's, uh, nothing distinguishes uh, so I think it's finding that balance between realism and things that look like they should but also the things that gratify a player like any good sound design does. So it was kind of, and, and also had, had some help from my son, who's an aspiring sound designer. And, you know, he would, uh, he would do, um, a lot of, uh, Foley. He would also go and, you know, like one of our grand, one of his grandparents has like one of those giant old coffee mills, you know, for grinding coffee in your kitchen. The things, it just weighs like probably half a ton. Um, and he would like stick a microphone down into parts of that and record interesting, you know, clacking gears and stuff like that. And, 
so I mean, between his work and um, kind of kind of balancing that and giving him some perspective on like what traditionally works for sound design, um, it was that mix of like, yeah, what what sounds cool, what sounds good. I mean, obviously, like weapon sounds um, would probably sound like pea shooters if they were actually that size. We put in pretty traditional, you know, weapon sounds because those those had to sound good. They had to be um, satisfying to to fire that weapon. So. So somewhere like along the lines, I think the mechanical stuff lives in like where the characters deploy, where they rattle into a, an intersection, um, where you see the gears and tur- churning under the track. Those, those things I think were, were handled fairly realistically, but things that have to do with the game, you know, the the, the satisfaction of again of destroying things and blasting things and stuff like that. Um, you know, it was uh, it, again, it was it's just a mix, I guess, of traditional stuff that is just um, for show and other things that are more like a, kind of create the atmosphere you want. Yeah, I just love that how this there was clunking and mechanical mechanical sort of um, devices flowing around all the time. But the mm-hmm. important stuff, you know, the impact of gunshots and when you're being hit and all that sort of stuff, was just a little bit louder. And it's just mm-hmm. like that whole mix of what, how you did that. Yes, you got the underlying sort of rumbling all the time of all the gears constantly whirring, um, but because they have to be in order to get these things to move, have mm-hmm. to. But if you had that at the same level, you wouldn't be able to hear anything. It would just be deafening. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas it's just uh, just really clever. So, yeah. It's, uh, oh, nice. That, that must I'm glad you noticed. Yeah, I, it's just uh, when I saw that, I thought, well, it could have gone two ways, and it thankfully went the other way. So well done. <laughs> A good twin-stick shooter, I'm talking about Robotron here, which is the grandfather of them all, requires mm-hmm. the player to know where they are in relation to the enemies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, you may disagree, but that's what I believe. You know, whether it's geometry wars or you know whatever, you, you always mm-hmm. need to know where you are in relation to where you're going. It's also just important. But the problem is the rails in Bartlow's Dread Machine potentially limit this. Okay. Mm-hmm. What have you done to stop the player feeling too exposed? In other words, veering into the realms of wait, that's not fair. Uh, yeah, and and uh, Matt, I'll let you take this one. I, I have thoughts, but I think I think Matt's actually been working with this more on the uh, like the the daily like actual level layout work. Um, to make it not fair, or to make sure it wasn't fit, you know, to make sure it was fair. There's a lot of play testing that went into that. Um, you know, uh, another thing we did that just uh, we added just as as like um, one, it we we felt like the player needed something else to do, but also. Uh, it did get around uh, some cases where you could really get yourself trapped if you didn't think ahead was a deflect mechanic. So uh, if you're ever on a, on, a, on a rail where you're like, oh, my God, there's no way I can get off this rail before this bullet hits me. We found that, like, yeah, you could have looked ahead on the board and realized that going out of that rail in the first place was a bad idea. But, you know, you can be reactive, too. So if you get yourself on a rail, you, get, you got a guy shooting straight at you, you're like, there's no way I could dodge. You can just really well time, um, do some really good timing around deflect and knock that bullet away and not get damaged. Um, so that was something we added just as a way so players didn't feel like they, they got into a situation where they had already lost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think that was really... Uh, out, there's really those two things. There's lots of playtesting and balancing and adjusting and, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, adding in like mechanics where, where we felt like, you know, we weren't being fair to the player. Um, yeah. camera framing, I think also helps since depending on the size of the encounter as well. 
Yeah, I think designing the encounter to the camera. Like, there's, mm-hmm. there's, like, for example, there is a early sequence where you're fighting. Um, I think of what many people would think of as the first boss in the game. I, um, uh, where like we push the camera way in, and we do have guys coming from the sides. Um, but we sort of warn you that they're going to come in from the sides as you see them coming toward you first, right? So you have an opportunity to shoot them when they're coming like toward you and off screen. And if you miss them, you know, oh, I saw that guy go down that track. He's going to be coming from the right or he's going to be coming from the left very soon. Um, so we just tried to like, you know, really telegraph things to the player and build the encounters to the camera that we were, um, you know, because every camera has a different strength and weakness. Like if you're overhead, you have a lot more, you know, uh, basically you just see around your your character better. You have a lot more like a better view of the battlefield so we can swarm you, you know, in those situations simply yeah. because you have that view. Yeah. And and it's, it's also kind of interesting to me because I think the idea that you're maybe being uh, bum rushed, you know, in some cases almost became a virtue, though. Those, those interior levels where the camera's very close and the things just kind of jump out at you. It was It's a very different sort of uh, feel than the more open, uh, like outdoorsy kind of looking looking environment. So I, I think that was another thing we noticed was, well, some of, some of that tension, though, is that, that something might just jump out at you at any moment is, um, I don't know, it's something we really enjoyed. <laughs> I mean, there, there are entire levels just kind of based around that that as well. So, I mean, I mean in some ways, though, that, um, that closeness that, oh, my gosh, now I have to just be very quick in, in how I respond. Um, I think created also just kind of a different sort of mental state for for certain levels in, in a way that I really liked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's really really good. And just uh, the the camera. Thank, I'm really happy that you mentioned the camera because I was going to sort of feed you that line, but thankfully you you plucked it out. Because you're right. You're really really clever with that camera view. You could have just left it, but why? You know, it doesn't <laughs> stop you from just moving it around. And yep. you do, and it's great. It's like I just go top view. Why? Because we can. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, this, this is where Matt and his team were um, probably not the sanest people because in my mind it was like, oh, we can change the camera view because hey, the player, the camera is the player's head. You can just pretend you're leaning in and look at things differently. <laughs> and Matt and his team are like, oh no, no, let's let's do something a little more interesting. And then you know they, they they start delivering these builds where the entire board rotates and you can actually see the gears on the side of the screen and um, <laughs> a, a, again running with the theme and delivering on it. In a way that even I didn't expect was, was yeah. just, nice. Ah, it was, well, it was just be, so cool. Why be limited to one's own sort of ability to look when you're like, oh no, you've got X-ray right eyes now. Like what? That's right. Not? Yeah. And then and again, there's a mechanical justification, which is something yeah. that um, informs informs a lot of the stuff that happens in the game. And yeah, again, Matt, Matt and his team just were, you know, God, they were really really cool the way they um, delivered on that. Last question. I know. All good things must come to an end, but here we are. Oh, no. I know, because I've been having fun, and I bet you too. Um, <laughs> weapon and item upgrades, we can't not talk about these. Um, they're really comprehensive in Bartlow's Dread Machine, I think, anyway. Um, and they seem to be geared towards the player, allowing them to adopt their own mode of play, their own mm-hmm. style, of what they're most comfortable with. At least that's how I've used them for anyway, you know, channeled down a certain route because that's how I, I prefer that way of play. What strategies did you adopt when designing them? Um, I think the the big thing for us was, um, one, we wanted 
uh, players who, you know, got stuck on a particular level have a way to, um, you know, on a particular difficulty. Obviously, we do have difficulties and we have per player difficulty. So, like, if you're playing with, like, uh, your child or a friend that isn't as, like, as twitchy as you and you, you want to make it easier for them but keep it hard for you, you can do that. But if you did get stuck in a particular difficulty, we wanted to give you a way in order to, you know, buy something that would make you better and overcome that level. We also like wanted to give you a lot of player choice. And uh, for me, one of the, uh, the hallmarks of like my, when I think of items, I don't want to just make numbers go up. I want to, I want to also give the player a choice to like facilitate a play style. Like if you really want to be aggressive and glass cannon and you want to like do a lot of damage, you have an item path for that. Or if you want to like, you know, be tanky and, you know, be a little more forgiving in the damage you take, you have an item path for that. And like, um, we really just tried to think of different ways players would play and then give them tools to like either like, uh, sort of make up for weaknesses or just amplify their strengths. Um, so that was a big like thought process that went into the item creation. Um, and then, uh, you know, just, uh, also just like, you know, making sure the visuals are really fun and distinct and that you could have fun dressing up your character and, uh, you know, making them look like whatever you want to make them look like. So there's yeah, another everyone, thing. Everyone wears a cool hat. Yep. Oh yeah. Where would we be with our different hats? Where would we be? I don't know. <laughs> it's the bedrock of our industry. It totally is. Yeah. That and surprise mm-hmm. mechanics. Sorry. So I didn't say that. <laughs> so yeah fantastic and I, I, I was right then yay i did that's what i got from it it's like here's a bunch of stuff you can't really use all of it but you can use some of it and what some of it you want to use play to you know modify to your heart's content so yeah good I'm, stuff. I'm curious did you did you play with any of the unlock characters like the historical figures that are in, in the I'm afraid not. No. Uh, interesting. Okay. I was. Because I, I, th- I think that also skews even more heavily toward toward playstyle as well. Yeah, yeah. I grant you that. I just I didn't want to reveal, but okay. <laughs> oh no, no, it's fine. I was just curious yeah, if you'd had a chance. Is, to yeah, check it's out. just a. Always, I love always, always curious to know. Indeed, I just love talking about abstracts and when I do this show because I don't want to spoil anything because uh, people are very sensitive about that stuff. You'd be surprised. <laughs> so Bartlow's Dread Machine. Uh, now I'm right in saying it's been developed by um, it's by uh, by Tribe Toy and published by Beep. Is that right to say that, or is it more more? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's mostly right. I mean, Beep did contribute on the development side as well. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of the uh, the character art and animation um, was was uh, from uh, our, our veteran lead animator at Beep, who also was the lead animator on Voodoo Vents, and yeah. she did, she did the bulk of the characters and monsters and things you see on the screen, um, and then obviously. Um, um, a lot of um, character design, concept work, um, sound design, things like that, also were on the, on the beep side. But oh yeah, overwhelmingly though, the the development, the the uh, implementation, um, the just e- even the, the art direction, if you will, for how the environments come across. Um, that that's all on on with Tribe Toy and, and Matt's team. They I mean they they did the overwhelming majority of the development work. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We had uh, Leaf Drace as our lead artist, who like really like nailed down that style and look. And uh, Jeff wow. Hisley, our engineer, sort of made it all work. And uh, uh, Brian Gelati was like the my design counterpart, but more on the art side. Um, so a really small team, and but you know like like Marianne and Clayton and Oliver and everyone at Beep and Steve Kirk, who did our music. Just oh my god, yeah, really good people. Yeah, 
I know all that all came together to make something really cool. So, I mean, I'm proud of it. I enjoy playing it. So I hope other people do as well. And, uh, yeah. And where's the name tribe toy come from? Oh God, there's not a really good story for that. It's, um, <laughs> it's just more like, I, my, um, gaming handle is dog toy. Okay. And, and, uh, we were talking about how that was, that could sort of be a good gaming name company, which it wouldn't be. Um, this is years and years ago. And, yeah. uh, and then we're, and like, uh, one of our, the, our art director of the time, Tara Ruping, who is, uh, went off to work with Steven Spielberg. She's amazing. Uh, but she wanted to follow her, uh, her film dream. Uh, uh, she um came up with well we're making toys for the tribe like the tribe of humanity people you know like our games are toys for the tribe so that's where we came up with tribe toy nice it's a wonderful story well done beats 3 a.m in a pub or maybe yeah, it yeah. I don't know. that's about it was about it was like 3 a.m in a living room so yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yes Bartlow's dread machine is out uh, i believe now at least the time of release uh, on uh, windows pc and xbox one yes yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, thank you very much. You've been wonderful guests and very open and honest. And you're more than welcome to come back as Clayton knows because this is his second time. <laughs> so, hey! Yeah, it's, my, it's like my second home. This is great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you won't come back in three years with something else. Be awesome. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank I'd you. Love to. But uh, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good one. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com.